Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. guy that his boss, the high priest, was going to bring into trial and execute, that very man comes and touches his ear. And rather he picked the ear up, slapped it back on his head, and it came reattached. Or rather he, who formed the universe, formed a brand new ear for Malchus. We don't know. He touched it and healed it. Can you imagine what's going through Malchus's mind? This is the guy they say that's evil. This is the guy they want to arrest. This is the guy they want to put to death. And for no reason at all, he healed me. I think maybe Malchus's mind might have changed at that point in time. The love of Jesus is an unconventional love. Human reason would say that if you're being treated unjustly, you need to retaliate. As we see in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter acted under his own human understanding and reason. His teacher and friend was being arrested, and he was ready to stand up and fight for him. But as Pastor David points out in today's message, we see the grace and love of God on display as Jesus reaches out and heals the ear of the servant. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Victory Over the Powers of Darkness. The cross is not the battle zone. The cross was the point of death, the physical death of Christ. But the actual battle zone was fought and won long before the cross. It was fought there in the Garden of Gethsemane. The very name of the Garden, Gethsemane, means the olive press. And what a descriptive name of all that was going on within the heart and the mind of Christ. Let's set the apostles aside for a moment and just think about the battle that was raging within the heart and the mind, the soul of Christ. Now, beloved, do not lessen the reality that Jesus was human. Oh, he was God. He was, and like I like to share, he's 100% God and he was 100% human. That doesn't work in our math, but it works perfectly in God's math, okay? And in his humanity, the stress the agony, anxiety, all of that working upon him during this time. As a matter of fact, we could go to Matthew and Mark's account, and each one of those writers tells us that Jesus was sorrowful. He was troubled. He was deeply distressed. And before he moved on to his own private location to pray, still with Peter and James and John, Mark tells us that he shared with those three My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He wanted them to stay. He wanted them to pray, pray for their own strength, but also pray for the strength he needed to meet this final battle 
head on. He knew that the battle was raging at that point. And Jesus walked into that battle knowing full well the struggle that he was going to face. And there in the garden, he met the enemy head on in that confrontation. He met the enemy, but beloved, we know he also defeated the enemy. Amen? He defeated the enemy there, and the way that he did it was, again, through the obedience to the Father. Paul tells us in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, he declares, Therefore, as through one man's offense, that's the fall of Adam he's speaking of, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous acts, That's speaking of the second Adam. That's speaking of the obedience of Christ. The free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam's, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, that's Jesus, many will be made righteous. We need to fully understand that obedience didn't come easily. We think, yeah, well, he, he's God in, in human flesh, so certainly he's going to do the will of the Father. No, you, you're, you're lessening the humanity of Christ if you go to that point that easy. You need to understand the greatness of the battle. This obedience was found in the midst of extreme stress and extreme trial that was going on in his life. Back in Luke here, Luke gives us the clearest picture of, of, the, uh, 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 of, of the amount of stress and the agony that he was experiencing. Look, Luke 22, verse 43. And there appeared to him, to Jesus, an angel from heaven strengthening him. The battle was so great that the father sent a ministering angel to come and stand beside his son to be an encouragement, to be a, a, a booster of, again, man, this, this, this is right. This is what needs to be done, knowing that the Father is looking out and caring for. But look what he says beyond that in verse 44. Being in agony, Jesus prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. You need to Understand, even though we read that his prayer is, oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You need to realize that the prayer that he was praying wasn't for a release. Lord, get me out of this. Lord, get me out of this. Lord, get me out of this. I believe that his prayer, more than anything, was that complete and total surrender to the father's will. That's where it was, knowing all that was before him. The intensity of that hour had to take such a toll on Jesus emotionally and physically. And yet, beloved, do you realize that in the midst of the weakness of his flesh and of his emotions, his spirit was strengthened during that time. Why? Because of that prayer of obedience that said, not my will, but your will be done. And beloved, let me encourage you on this. Every time you and I pray that prayer, regardless of what we're going through, regardless of the battles that we're fighting, regardless of the stress and the trials and the anxiety that we're suffering at that point in time, whether it be physical, financial, emotional, relational, whatever the battle might be, when we come to that point of the prayer that says, not my will, but your will be done, and that's the very core and the heart of our prayer. Beloved, the battle is won at that point. 
We become victorious at that point when we surrender ourselves into the hand and into the care of a loving God who knows our frame, who knows our situations greater than we know them. We become victorious that even though we may go through the fire, we will not get burned. Though we go through the flood, we will not be drowned. Though we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we know that he's there with us and his rod and his staff is going to comfort us. Not my will, but yours be done. The intensity is captured by Luke as he writes to us and says that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. Actually, it's a rare, it's, it's very rare, but it is a physical phenomenon known as hematidrosis. Hematidrosis. And that's where, again, the, the capillaries uh, uh, begin to, to break down and, and the, the blood is, is mixed with the sweat at that time. And it would appear that that's the very case because of the greatness of the agony that Jesus was experiencing at that point in time. You need to realize, though, his struggle wasn't in doing the Father's will over his own, even. I believe a por- the, the great portion of that struggle, not just to do the Father's will, he had done that all of his life. He was, he was sent to do the Father's will, and he prayed, Father, I've done your will, I continue to do your will. I look here at the The struggle was the knowledge of the sin of the world that was going to be placed upon him who knew no sin. Recognizing that with, again, the the sinfulness and the blackness of humanity upon him, that there was going to come a time very shortly that there was going to be a breaking of the fellowship that he had had for all eternity past with the Father. Why? Because the Word of God tells us that God is holy. He can't even look upon sin. And most speculate, and I believe correctly, that there was that point in time there as Jesus hung on the cross that the sin of the world was upon His shoulder and the sin was so black, so dark, so vile, that the Father literally had to turn His back on the Son until that payment was made complete. That's why Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not because He's hanging on a cross. That was a part of the thing. That was the direction He was going. From the time of His birth, He was headed to the cross. But the reality of the brokenness of that fellowship that was there for all eternity. You and I, we, we live in the midst of sin. We, we, we often find ourselves in sin. Amen? Okay, a few of us do anyway. Uh, we, we do, it's, it's, it's hard for us to understand, really in a complete way, all that's going on here. And we can agree with it, but we can never fully know the extent of the impact of the sin of the world being placed upon that spotless Lamb of God. That holy, spotless Lamb of God. When we read how as he prayed, as the angel ministered to him, we also find out that the apostles, they, they were asleep. It's been a long evening. We understand that. We know, we know that, they, again, the, the daylight hours, were they, they, they were fast approaching. They'd been there in the upper room all evening. That Jesus had ministered to them for how long had he prayed? And one of the gospel writers said, for, can't you keep watch for an hour? And that was the first time. And Again, through the, 
combination of the gospel records, we find out that he went and he prayed three different times, and each time he came back and found the apostles sleeping. And Luke tells us there in verse 45, when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples, found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? And again, uh, I believe that this was probably that third time, that, that last time that he came. And on that time, Luke tells us, verse 47, while he was speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? You understand that that kiss was supposed to be a kiss of peace, a, a sign of friendship. But here Judas changed all that around and instead of a kiss of peace, it became the kiss of death as he came up to Christ on that day. Immediately, Judas went up to Jesus, cries out, Rabbi, Rabbi, or greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him, giving direct, again, identification of who Jesus was to this crowd as if they didn't know who he was already. Personally, I feel it's more than just a recognition of Jesus. I think that it was that final seal of the deal in, in Judas's betrayal. He didn't stand back and say, oh, I had changed my mind, but they kept going. No, Judas was right there to the very bitter end, embracing Christ, kissing him while the mob was there to arrest him. No, he was in it all the way. Verse 49 says, then those around him saw what was going to happen. The disciples, suddenly, they saw what was going to happen, and they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? It's at this point, even as the disciples, they were still wiping the, the sleep from their eyes, I believe. They, they sprang into action, and remember, more often than not, the action of the disciples, and in particular, Peter, was ready, fire, aim. You know, so it's like, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to do something. And that's exactly what took place. Lord, should we strike with the sword? And rather than wait for the Lord's response to that question, the word tells us in verse 50 there that one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. We know from the other gospel accounts that was Peter. We understand that that servant's name was Malchus, the servant of the high priest cut off his right ear, but Jesus answered and said, permit even this. It was, the guy's ear's been cut off. Jesus says, stop. Picks the guy's ear up. He touched his ear. He healed him. I read that, and I think personal note to self, okay? Pay attention here. Whenever you preempt the answer from God, you can pretty well be guaranteed you're going to be wrong. We, we pray, Lord, reveal this to me. Lord, show me. Hurry up, Lord, show me. Well, that's okay. I've got an idea of my own, Lord, so let me try this. I know none of you have ever done that, but I've done that more than too many times. And I know that nearly in every case, I know, I know it's going to be wrong. But yet we are an impatient people, aren't we? You see, Peter didn't know what to do, and so he just did. And he did the wrong thing. 
might seem right in our logic. It might seem right in our time schedule, church. But if we're moving on human logic and if we're moving according to human time frames and human understandings, it's most likely going to be proved wrong every time. Wait on the Lord. Wait patiently on the Lord. And just think about this. Peter with a sword. Whoa. He's not the guy you want with a sword. I don't think fishermen make very good swordsmen. Undoubtedly, I, I believe that Peter was probably not aiming, let's see, right ear or left ear? No, I think Peter was probably aiming for his head, for his neck, to take it off. He only managed to get the ear. And can you imagine all that went through this man, that servant's mind? Well, one thing, a, a sword didn't go through his mind, praise God. Just took his ear off, but... Uh, his life was being threatened. I mean, his ear had been cut off, and then suddenly the very guy that he went out to help arrest, the very guy that his boss, the high priest, was going to bring into trial and execute, that very man comes and touches his ear. And rather he picked the ear up, slapped it back on his head, and it came reattached, or rather he who formed the universe formed a brand new ear for Malchus. We don't know. He touched it and healed it. Can you imagine what's going through Malchus's mind? This is the guy they say that's evil. This is the guy they want to arrest. This is the guy they want to put to death. And for no reason at all, he healed me. I think maybe Malchus's mind might have changed at that point in time. Look at verse 52. Jesus said to the chief priests, the captains of the temple, and the elders who had come to him, have you come out as against a robber? with swords and clubs. When I was with you daily in the temple, you didn't try to seize me. But this is what I want you to catch. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. The power of darkness. So much to say about the power of darkness. John, in his gospel record, brings out the fact that when Judas went out to betray Christ, he went out immediately and it was night went out into the darkness, and Judas continued on deeper and deeper into the darkness. And that seemed to be symbolic of the heart and the soul and the mind of Judas. On one hand, we understand that darkness hides the sin of man. But on the other hand, darkness actually brings out the sin of man. In both of these things working. The power of darkness that rules over the heart of every man outside of Christ. You see, beloved, a man can be religious. A man can be good and, and moral. You can be an upstanding citizen, there's no doubt about it. But until a man comes to Christ and the rule of God's kingdom comes into his life, that man or that woman is still controlled by the power of darkness. And the prince of darkness is on the throne of that dominion. And we just need to understand and recognize that truth. Those outside of the kingdom of God's glorious light are still walking in darkness. The Bible does not give us any other choice. You're walking in the kingdom of light or you're walking in the kingdom of darkness. And when you walk in the kingdom of darkness, you're not able to fully see the light of the majesty of God, but you are controlled by the deeds and the power of darkness. 
That's why Paul writes to us in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, where he says that God has delivered us from the power of darkness. And he's conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. According to God's word, all men everywhere are a part of the kingdom of darkness until we become redeemed by that precious blood of Christ. And it's only through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the shedding of his blood, and our receipt and acknowledgement and, and, and surrender to it that our sin can actually be forgiven. Paul continues on there in Colossians chapter 1. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn or the head over all of creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, rather thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him, in Christ, all the fullness should dwell. And by him, and by him, to reconcile all things to himself, rather things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. The powers of darkness came into the garden that night, those early morning hours. They came in with the distinct and the directed purpose to destroy God's plan of salvation. Just as they had destroyed man's innocence back in that first garden, now they come into the garden of Gethsemane to destroy God's plan and purpose. They were looking to destroy Jesus and the ministry of hope that comes through redemption. The powers of darkness had planned for destruction, but God's eternal plan was for victory. The powers of darkness believed the cross would destroy the kingdom of light, and yet it was through the cross that the very powers of darkness were conquered, defeated, and will be finally and for all time destroyed because of the cross. The powers of darkness deceived and tricked their way into the appearance of control over the situation. They had the masses of the men with swords and, 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 and lights, and they were going to take control over that situation. But the fact is, church, God and his kingdom had planned from the beginning that he would supply himself a sacrifice for the sin of all mankind. No, Peter, it's not time for the sword. Because the battle's already been won in the garden. In the great press of the will of God over man's will, the great press, God's eternal plan over the temporary comfort of anything that the world had to offer. Jesus had gone through that press and Jesus had determined, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus knew the great agony of the sin of the world that was soon to be laid on his sinless and on his spotless frame. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Peter, you can put the swords away. The kingdom of God is already victorious. You see, that victory was won as Jesus prayed.
Oh, it didn't look like it was one because they still arrested him. They still took him into trial. They still convicted him. They still beat him. They still hung him on a cross. He still died. But all of that was through the plan of the Father from eternity past. The Lamb slain from the foundation of the world became the sacrifice for the sin of all mankind. We can all remember the marketing campaign, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? While this became somewhat cliche, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what He did do when He was here on earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the Teachings page. Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to TheOpenWord.com and select the Teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again and may God richly bless you.